something I'm extremely proud of is to date. There's no, there's nobody behind EXO, just Lenny and I making the decisions. Um, there's no investors. There's no anybody pushing for this. It's just us. Um, uh, I think it's fairly unique. Uh, probably a lot of people don't realize how many companies have investors behind them that need to see profits. And for us, it's always, it's always been take care of the product, take care of the customer, and then everything else will take care of itself. Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is episode number 219. Before we dive into the show, I wanted to thank Dean KJ for leaving us an iTunes review. Dean, we want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Huntback Country Podcast swag. So send us your shipping address to podcast at exomountaingear.com. And listeners, if you want to enter to these giveaways, it's really simple. We just want to hear from you, whether you leave a review in iTunes or contact us directly with your suggestions for a topic or a question that you want to hear about. Some of you, I'm sure, have been tuning into our TSS episodes during this COVID pandemic, and those episodes are really driven by the content you guys want to hear about. So again, we appreciate hearing from you and wanting to know what you want to hear discussed on those shows. You can email us directly at any time to podcast at exomountaingear.com. In today's full episode, it's myself and Steve joined by Exo Mountain Gear co-founder Lenny Nelson. Lenny has been on the podcast throughout the years, isn't a regular uh, participant, but is always someone that you guys want to hear from and that we get requests to have on the show. Lenny and Steve co-founded Exo Mountain Gear, and today we kind of dive into that story about the origins of Exo Mountain Gear and where we are today. In many ways, not much has changed, although certainly many things have. This isn't a product sales pitch or even really about the packs, but more about the philosophy, the ethos, and the origins of the company. We're doing this show based on feedback from you guys. You wanted to hear more about Exo Mountain Gear as a company, the backstory, and the behind the scenes. So this is for you, and we hope you enjoy it. As always, thank you for tuning in. Here's a conversation with myself, Steve, and Glennie. All right. Well, Lenny, I'm uh, I'm glad we can get you on the podcast today as we did a big survey at the end of 2019 about, you know, what do people want to hear? And the podcast in 2020 is like, there's this random but consistent impetus of like, where's Lenny? We need to hear from Lenny. So we're, <laughs> we're making it happen. I'm excited so, to be here. It's been a while. It's been it too long. Been a while. Yeah. So glad you're back, man. <laughs> yep. So for this one, um, yeah, we one of the other things that comes up is you know, we talk about EXO or we talk about product today, but not everybody knows kind of the backstory or the history, um, and not history for history's sake, but I think the history informs a lot of the company that we are today and even the product that we have today. And so we just kind of want to get on here with you, uh, Lenny, and then Steve and talk about the origins, the very beginning. Um, and I guess that goes 
you know, back to pre-EXO days because you guys had um, a friendship there and hunted together and all that. So um, I'll let you kick it off, Lenny, with when when did you run into Steve and how did you guys uh, get connected? Yeah, so this would have been 2010, I believe. Um, I had been... Was that right? Yeah, I'm already trying to... Steve's already correcting him. <laughs> 2009? 2000, I wanted to say 2009, but yeah, irrelevant. No, I think it was like spring in nine. Yeah. Or 10, excuse me. Yep. Okay. 10. Um, you know, I'd been bow hunting. Um, I'd gotten into it maybe five years earlier. and But I'd always backpacker as well and um, I've always you know really enjoyed that and I've been going hunting my, my I have uh, four other brothers and we all hunt together but five years in all my brothers kind of said dude you're crazy I don't want to go with you anymore we can find elk that are a mile from the road um, and I'm like well but that's not not as much fun and you know let's get way back there let's go backpacking and so I was actually for about a year I'd been kind of hunting solo um and I just really enjoyed getting way the heck back there. I wasn't super, super successful, and I was an elk all the time, which was way more fun for me. And um, I happened to run into Steve at the um, – there's a uh, sportsman show here in Boise, and he was kind of doing some bow stuff, work on the side. And I ran into him there, and I think I needed a new string or something. And so um, he and I kind of got to talking, and then I think I went over to his place where he had – in his garage he was kind of working out of. And um, – you know, it's funny. I think we immediately kind of probably sized each other up. Would that be accurate, Steve? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're like, oh, you backpack? Oh, you mountain bike? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it was definitely, um, you know, we weren't, um, uh, I guess what I'd say, uh, you know, hunting badasses who it was all about, you know, hey, would you kill? How big was it? Um, I think what you know, Steve and I's connection was definitely early on was we loved getting out and, you know, putting on the miles and seeing stuff and experiencing it. And I think that's kind of probably where he and I kind of clicked fairly early on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. enjoy, I would say both enjoyed just freaking like just working hard. Um, yeah. Put, putting on miles and, and uh, sweating and just getting back there and having fun. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of did this little dance, right? Because, I mean, when you're first meeting someone, because I was like, man, I really need someone to go hunting with. It'd be nice. Um, but, you know, you don't, you don't want to give up your spots. You don't want to, um, you know, end up going spending spend a year with somebody that you don't know. But um, finally it came out. We were hunting the same units in general. And um, I don't even really know how we finally said, hey, let's go hunting together. Do you? Mm, I think we went mountain biking together first. Um, okay. And then just started to get more, yeah, just hanging out a little bit here and there and started to get, get to know each other better. And then talking about hunting areas, I think I, I think I was describing an area that I went into and you were like, Hey, you know, I think you were like, is that, you know, so-and-so Creek? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. Cause I think as Steve will test to, yeah, like before I had kids, man, I mean, I was out every single, I mean, I scouted every Creek, every drainage. I mean, I'm talking like pre- Google Earth. I had topo maps out, and I mean, I spent every single weekend dragging my wife around normally into some new drainage and telling her it was a backpacking trip and it was really a scouting trip. Um, and so I knew 
a lot of country and I spent a lot of time out there and um, I had to size Steve up, make sure he could keep up with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that, that, that first, that first year, um, you know, Steve said, Hey man, let's pick up a camera and let's um, roll with this. And I'd say, you know, with Steve and I um, like, there's different strengths that he and I definitely have that are very different. Um, mm. Steve and I are not alike in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Steve's, um, he's definitely um, a very much of a, if you say you're going to do it, he jumps in and does it. And I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. We're doing this. Um, and so he's like, Oh, here's the video camera. We bought it. You know, that's, you know, 400 bucks a piece. And I'm like, Oh crap. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we started rolling with the camera that very first year and, and um, we had some awesome luck. I mean, Steve killed an awesome bull. We hunted a bunch. Um, I killed um, a, a bull in an area that I'd hunted really hard uh, for like a couple of years. And we, we finally got one on the ground. And um, from the very beginning, I'd say Steve and I were probably talking about, we like this about gear. We don't like this about gear. And um, as we started packing more and more animals off the mountain, we started talking about, you know, backpacks and what we liked, what we didn't like, and, you know, what was working and what wasn't. So the picking up the camera, Steve. What was the, what was your thought there? Because like, right now, you yeah, don't, you don't do much with it. Um, but it's obviously also a different landscape now. First thing, yeah. Um, I'll go back a little bit. So I remember um, it was just a funny story that I remember uh, pretty vividly. As we were uh, mountain bike, or you know, I had just started getting into mountain biking, and Lenny was racing at the time, and um, so he's in really, really good shape, and. I think the first uh, at, um, time we met, we met at the archery range. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm rambling here. Um, we I'd, late, we met at the sportsman show. I put a string on Lenny's bow, met him at the range. I gave him his bow, shot. And then we were both talking. We're like, let's go biking. So a couple of days later, we went biking. I went up to his house, and then he strapped a, uh, a heart rate monitor on me. Um, and we left from his house. And <laughs> he had a – an alarm on his thing when your heart rate hit a certain thing. And so we basically left his house and, and went up this table rock trail and he was in clearly better shape than I was. Cause yeah, he was up in front just zipping away and I'm back there and the, the heart rate monitor is like redlining. Like, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I'm like, you know, cussing out of my breath. Like, okay, cause I'm pretty competitive trying to keep up with this guy. And so right then and there, cause I thought like, you know, cause I was backpacking by myself and, I couldn't find anybody that, that wanted to do it. And Lenny and I had basically mirror images stories that we had these buddies, his, his brothers. I had some other guys that I hunted with. Nobody wanted to backpack. Um, and I remember b- biking with him, like, cause I thought I was in decent shape and, and, uh, this guy's just smoking me up this mountain while this freaking alarm's just beeping. Like that was <laughs> like going by hikers on the trail and they're just looking at me like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> it was uh, a yeah, pretty funny. Memory. It's buried in my mind. Um, so yeah, right then there I was like, okay, I can definitely go hunt with this guy. He's, he's in better shape than I am. So, um, and then we, yeah, I think we just biked a lot that summer. Lenny got me into racing, did a couple races. Um, and then, um, uh, it was right before, oh yeah, it would have been late summer before, before September kicked off. I had, um, wanted to make videos and it wasn't, um, I think Lenny and I both enjoyed that. Like we didn't give two F's about being, um, like trying to be famous or I don't know the right word for people to know us. It was just, we loved, and Lenny hit on it earlier, the experience of being back there. 
And I remember watching, you know, hunting shows at the time and a lot's changed in the last decade. Um, but they were very much like, okay, here we are. And here's the next kill shot, you know, like truth videos would be the prime example, fun to watch, but it was literally no backstory, nothing. It was just, here we are, here's the elk coming in, here's the elk dead On to the next time. And, and we're thinking there's so much more to this hunt. Um, and we're back and Lenny and I are backpacking these beautiful places and experiencing this stuff. And, uh, we wanted to capture that and make video. And so we literally kind of, I, I remember calling Lenny up and like, Hey, you want to go grab a beer? I want to pitch an idea to you. And, and, uh, so we sat down at the Ram restaurant in Boise and, and said, I said, I want to make, let's make videos. And like Lenny was like, yeah, sure. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure the story went like a week later, I bought, you know, an $800 camera and, and we were, we were in there <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and we had a blast that first year. We were just, we probably hit the, we had uh, pressed the record button way, way, way too many times and had just piles of garbage footage. But um, that was the beginning of Pure Elevation Productions, um, which it's uh, still going today with uh, Tyler Crockett running it. Um, but we had a blast. I said, we, uh, I killed that great bull, uh, just got lucky. Um, Lenny killed a great bull. Man, wasn't it like the last day of season two, Lenny? That we pulled that off. It again. was, yep. Yeah. Um, yep. It was a cool story. Captured it all on footage, and we made our first DVD uh, for Pure Elevation. I think it was was that ninety percent. Yep. I believe. Yeah, that was our first DVD, and um, man, it was fun. It was a fun experience to to do that, and um, and then that, yeah, that was basically year one of Lenny and I meeting each other with within from March until from March till January we had. Uh, started hunting together and filmed and made a hunt or made a DVD and we were definitely off to a, a fast start. Yeah. That's cool. I remember some weird guy on the internet reviewing some of those early pure elevation DVDs on his blog. That was interesting. Yeah, that's a, great, that's, a good, <laughs> that's how you and I kind of basically met. So Mark had ordered, uh, um, you could order some black gold stuff from me, right? With yeah. I called Archer. you with questions yeah. about black gold sites through SNS. Yep. So Mark had done that, and then uh, a few months later, when we'd done the thing, you reached out and said, "Hey, um, uh, you, if you're willing to send me a couple DVDs, I'd like to review it and, and give one away." And we're like, "Heck yeah!" And Mark, uh, I'm sure you remember that Lenny Mark's uh, review of the first DVD. It was so, um, it was so spot on to it was, what yep. <clears throat> you and I were trying to get out. Uh, mm -hmm. Mark has a way of putting thoughts and into words on paper. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. So how did it go from, all right, we're just hunting buddies and now we're making some films and yeah, we're chatting about gear, but a lot of guys do that. Like, yeah, you know, this is cool, but hey, have you tried this? Or here's what I don't like. Here's what I do. Like having those conversations, you know, when you're sharing time in the mountains is completely normal. Um, but beginning to even remotely like take a leap into, yeah, we're not happy with packs. Let's do something about it. Like how did, because neither of you <laughs> had the experience to be like, clearly we should do this, you know? <laughs> um, I would say a lot of it was out of frustration, to be honest with you. Um, I remember very vividly, we backpacked in this place. Um, Steve killed uh, that six point, remember way in the back. Mm -hmm. And we had to do two trips to get that thing out. Mm -hmm. And um, the pack, I was using one of the higher end packs and it rubbed back completely raw. And I was super frustrated. Um, 
And and I think you know, like Steve and I having like the backpacking background where we backpacked and scouted so much with you know the Ospreys and you know all these other like lightweight packs and, and I mean it was truly like man love these packs for you know when we're going overnight these are better than any hunting pack out there but they're not tough and they can't carry you know a quarter or boned out meat and it was just you know half a time sometimes I'd go hunting with a backpacking backpack and you know and it was just this frustration of not being able to find something that I could do at all. And, um, I remember that pack, I remember that pack out, my back was completely raw and I think I had you take a picture of it. Yeah. I remember. And we saw, yeah. Yep. And we saw that company at a trade show somewhere or at a show somewhere and I mentioned it to them and they basically laughed me, laughed at me. Um, there's like, Oh, whatever. Like, you know, you did something wrong. And man, I remember that pissed me off. Um, <laughs> we cause, cause I was picture. a fan of them at the time. Yeah. Yeah, we should. Um, it was a perfect square right in, in the middle of my back. Um, and I, I remember that was my, one of my motivating things is, is, you know, just frustration that something didn't work. And then a company that I'd kind of looked up to, they kind of laughed at like, Oh, you know, whatever, there's nothing wrong with our pack and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't know how about you, Steve. I mean, I think some of yours was that a frustration too, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. I mean, that is the reason EXO exists is there wasn't, um, you know, 2010 hunting season through 11, 12 there, um, you know, there wasn't a pack built for what we were doing and, and granted, you know, I think a lot's changed in the last 10 plus years. Uh, but, um, you know, that hunting packs in general were just day packs. I mean, they just weren't built for backpacking and it wasn't as popular back then. So maybe the market wasn't big enough to support a, a company building packs just for it. But, then that didn't stop us. We didn't care. We we wanted to be a small niche company from the beginning, and we've remained that way. Um, just selling, you know, that's our focus is building packs for backpacking hunting. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just complete compromise. Literally, I had a uh, I think I had a Gregory little super light three pound pack that I'd use for scouting. Mm-hmm. Loved it until I put more than twenty five pounds in it, and then it was miserable. Uh, all the hunting packs, um, you know, it just wasn't just going to be super super heavy um in general at the time and uh and then really not perform that well with a quarter coming out so it was just like sick of dealing with the pain thought uh yeah and clearly like mark as you hinted we we had no clue how to build a backpack i mean it was just going to be uh through trial and error and a lot of hard work that that we were going to come to an end product so and then enters a pink sewing machine, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let me, we'll get to the garage days here, Lenny. Um, had either of you sewed anything ever before? Like not a pack, but just like period? No. No. Okay, cool. Well, perfect. So, <laughs> so, so, so you go from absolutely, not only zero backpack experience, but to like zero sewing experience. Steve, you were, uh, you know, you had started a small business at this point, but vastly different from manufacturing anything. Yeah, I mean, I had a good, you know, I was running SNS at the time. I'd started the website. I was selling to con- customers. So I had a good, um, basically good background. Like I knew how to do that portion. I knew how to build a site. I knew how to do product videos. Um, all that was kind of taken care of. Uh, as far as it was, it wasn't as big unknown. It was just simply Lenny and I had to design the product, figure out how to become a manufacturer. And then once we had the product, to me, the rest of it was easy. Um, but it was that, that product part was obviously, it ended up being, 
I, I don't know, Lenny, what you want to throw a number, like how much harder you thought it was going to be. I mean, I think we, we both thought it was going to like take a month and we're going to knock something out and it took, you know, a freaking year. So. Oh yeah. 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 It was definitely a lot more difficult, but it's funny, you know, I think like us not starting with, Hey, let's go with a designer who always already has a frame of reference. Yeah. Like, I mean, we came at this from a, just a completely naive, like, Hey, we want to build, you know, the best lightweight pack, you know? And at first we, we kind of say, okay, what are our priorities? And, you know, originally it was like, we want the lightest pack on the market, you know? And so yeah. we kind of started down that direction and then, um, I think the difference is, is it was all us, like, I mean, how we built our pack was we'd build it, we'd test it, we'd tear it apart and that doesn't work. And it was just over and over and over again of, you know, testing, 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 which I think is very different than what the typical market does. Typical markets, hey, you have a designer who kind of has a preconceived notion on how you build it and, and what, work, what works. And then you kind of build it and then, you know, hope it works in, you know, in, in the field. Um, and ours was very, 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 very different. We don't even know what to do, but we just knew, does this work or does this not? Yeah. And I remember, I think when we, very early on, we had just compiled all the packs that we had ever used. And we were at, I was living in a townhouse <laughs> at the time and just laid them out in the living room and just kind of went through like, okay, this one sucks because of this. And this one sucks because of that. This one does this pretty well. This one, you know, da, da, da. Um, and we had this list of like, I remember specifically, I had this pack that had some plastic sewn into the hip belt. Um, and we're like, yeah, that's a definite no. Cause that plastic, they think it's supposed to add rigidity, but it just completely destroys your hips. And this one is comfortable, but doesn't have an adjustable torso. You absolutely have to have an adjustable torso. I'm just kind of went through all the features and then just started. And then like Lenny said, we just went, we sewed it. We, we had this thing. We just we came to call it the sand hike. Lenny at the time was living on the east side of Boise and just like two miles from his house was this three mile loop um, that went up in the foothills. And we I don't know how I mean, I bet you we hiked that thing five days a week for that that one year. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was yeah. literally nonstop. We'd hike it. We'd come up with some ideas. Lenny would go back and sew it. Uh, and the next day we'd hike it again uh, and just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And it got frustrating because I remember. Gosh, room. I'm sure you remember this, Lenny. Like the what we had went after our first, like okay, this is the pack we want to meet to where we finished up. Like when you got to that end point, you're like, how in the world did we get here? Because uh, <laughs> it was it was a million small decisions along the way that just kind of like yeah, is basically it was not the straight line, right? It was just very much this really windy, curvy road of kind of veered off left and and Lenny hinted at like we wanted to be the lightest pack and we built the lightest pack. And it like, you know, from a function standpoint, the bag didn't have spine scope pockets and you go take that out scouting. You're like, this is stupid. Like we have to have quick access to our spine scope. So now you add spine scope pockets in um, and it's just this constant zigzag back and forth of, of, you know, too, too light, too heavy, too light, too heavy. And and, um, in the end, I think we just our motto became just keep it simple and efficient. Um, And that's kind of what guided a lot of our decisions because there's plenty of them that you come to in designing where um, you could add features, you could add this cool way to carry your gun or something, but at the cost of getting complicated to use, getting heavy, getting bulky, um, you're just constantly weighing those back and forth and, and trying to, to, you know, come to an end product that you're proud of. And you like just things that come to mind, you kind of hinted at some maybe in passing, but like things that you tried 
that you thought might work in concept that you then tested and was like, nope, that's not going to work. Whether that's a material, a design, a feature, like any of the above, it's just... All of them. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to credit Lenny for the, he was the one that always just had like these wild ideas. And I'd be like, that's not going to freaking work, you know? And then we'd go test it. And sometimes <laughs> it'd hit a home run and sometimes it'd fail miserably. But he always was like trying really kind of, I was more like down the middle and he was trying like really drastic left, drastic right things and uh, ended up working out well that, that you know, he was kind of, I was kind of more in the middle and he was trying more extreme things and it, you know, it kind of helped design design the finished product yeah i mean i'd say the biggest and um is you know we we started out really on the lightest weight kind of we probably started out more you know closer like a backpacking backpack i'd say um you know with the the buckles and the materials and the frame frame stuff and then you know as we kept testing it um you know our goal was to break it you know um and then as soon as we break it be like all right that doesn't work um and then when it doesn't break then all right all right now that that now that will work so um i know that first year prototype we had much different buckles much different uh you know exterior i mean and it it, and i i am known to be very hard on my gear i (laughs) i use it (laughs) like i'm I'm a good tester let's put it that way yeah we we haven't used that name in quite a few years but we called him lenny the destroyer uh, Lenny had a, uh, in some people's perspective, Lenny used to be a professional bull rider. So he has this very much like effort. I'm going straight through this brush pile mentality versus like trying to finesse his way around it. Uh, so it's definitely a good gear tester to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what did that look like? You mentioned hiking yeah. five days a week and then you guys were making revisions. What, how did you execute that? Cause you're both working full time at this point. Yeah. So yeah. we're both working full time at that point I'd had, um, our first baby, we'd moved into a new house. Like it was, I mean, super tough and stressful. I mean, honestly, I mean, it was, I would call Steve and say, Hey, can you come over at nine o'clock tonight after we put the baby down? Cause my wife is going to kill me if you come over before then. Um, and so Steve would come over at nine um, and we would go hike in the dark with headlamps. Then we'd come home. It's still at midnight testing, sewing. I mean, it was, um, it was a lot, a lot of late, late nights and, um, a, a lot of hours early on. And, yeah. um, yeah, how, that was, um, a tough time for sure. Uh, my wife, she's awesome. I love her to death, but the whole time she's like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, she's like, why are you, you know, cause, um, by then we had had, um, we'd hired, I had a contact, um, through one of my clients when I was in commercial banking, um, with a, uh, a cut and sew shop in Boise, you know, so by that time, you know, we'd spent thousands of dollars on, you know, we'd actually got them to build real prototypes and, um, you know, we, I can't remember how many iterations that we had through them, um, before we actually had the one that we used for yeah. 13 season. Yeah, it was 14. definitely a process. That's for sure. Um, cause what they would sew stuff and then we probably, then we would take that version go back to the pink sewing machine in in your room um modify it from there so i mean yeah i don't know how many you know it's dozens uh, of of variations of it that we would take and then continue to modify and play with it just back and forth back and forth so you mentioned steve the 13 season um was that 
that I guess besides all the test hikes, that was the first like proving grounds, if you will, in the field. Um, obviously aside from scouting, but in terms of getting it in the field for a hunting specific scenario, it was the 2013 season that you guys were actually running packs at that point. Yep. Yeah. It's 2013 season. Um, we knew, um, yeah, by, by, you know, we continued to tweak and modify the design basically all the way up until uh, we had set a goal to launch the company on January 1st of 14 um, and start taking orders. And then, you know, I think we started shipping in March or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, so going into that season, we I think we had built maybe 10 packs or something like that um, of the current final prototype. We had um, a lot of people don't know this, that uh, Cody uh, Kellum from Born and Raised. Um, those guys were great friends of ours and they were headed to Colorado. So, uh, it's a pretty funny story that they, they ran some original, original, yeah, 2013 packs. They picked them up, literally Lenny had put them in the back of his forerunner and they'd picked them up at like 3 a.m. driving through town on, on the way to Colorado one year. Um, so those guys had, yeah, it, I think four packs and, and they never, yeah, they sorry, never, sorry. they never seen them or say, used they, them. Or, they never seen them. <laughs> They had no yeah. idea what they're getting themselves into. And we had <laughs> there was like three or four variations in there too. Oh, there was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember? Because we tried to use yeah. a couple different frame materials that first year and kind of seeing what worked. And we were definitely like pushing the limits of like eighth inch titanium. Hey, let's see how this works. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, those guys ran packs and then we had packs within our group of it was at the time at that time I think pure elevation was me, Lenny. Uh, Tyler Crockett, Jason Wright, um, both those guys we've had on the podcast over the years. Um, and uh, I don't know if John was probably running it, John Abernathy, our camera guy. Um, so, yeah, we were just running packs that year and and just continue. We'd go on a hunt, you know, kill an elk, pack it out and go, okay, that kind of sucked. Let's let's fix this. Let's increase the foam here. Let's do that. So it was, as basically September just continued to be prototyping for us um, and just uh, continued to just take field use and, and then actually just get a, like, I think the born and raised packs, we let them um, just run them and beat them up. And then I had them ship them all back at the end of the season. And we, we tore them apart to see, like, okay, what's failing, what's not failing. Because, um, you know, we honestly had no idea, like, what the stitch count should be. How many times should you backstitch? Should there be a bar tech here? It was all just through trial and error that, um, that we kind of had to figure that stuff out. Were there any major or big changes other than like those minor things you're talking about, Steve, like stitch counts and like super fine details, but any big changes that came out of um, September and that type of prototyping before you go into production this coming year? Mm, not that I can remember. I yeah. don't think so. The, we are using a super light stretch fabric that we had to beef up because uh, we saw a couple tears in that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Lenny, anything come to mind outside of that that uh, – um the buckles for sure is that what you just said yeah yeah buckles 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 we had to upgrade um a lot of stuff was like we knew we were building ultralight packs we used some ultralight stuff and and you naturally when you know you're something using something ultralight you kind of take care of it Uh, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it was you just don't know what people will do without the field and we are slapping all you know the goal was to put a lifetime warranty on this thing um, so we kind of, you kind of got to go in and overbuild in a lot of areas just to, just to be safe. Cause you don't know some of those first exo packs, uh, 2014 were, uh, so overbuilt in a lot of ways that we were actually able to scale back. Like we, we re bar tacked everything, um, 
there because they they would um yeah they were just way 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 overbuilt because we were just we wanted to be safe we didn't want to have to replace uh packs after a year or two of use so so that's um the company you mentioned lenny you had this connection they were doing some of the prototyping is that essentially where everything came to for production at least initially yes yep yeah definitely kind of pushing their skills at the same time that they were they were kind of building a little more simple products i'd say and so this was definitely the most complicated project project that they'd taken on um and so there was definitely i think between us not being an experienced you know designer and them not being maybe as experienced on the manufacturing side there was definitely a couple of uh bumps along the way as far as you know really it's more or less it wasn't quality it was just um, being able to get the product. Um, and that first year, I'd say that it probably blew up faster than Steve and I expected, um, faster than they expect, faster, faster than anyone expected. So trying to keep up with that, um, you know, was kind of the storyline for the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, we were, you know, figuring out how to source fabric and buckles and, and, um, you know, the, yeah, that's, that's a funny story. I guess, as I said, fabric, because Lenny and I were so adamant we weren't going to use 500D Cordura because um, we were just like, <laughs> it's, it's so overbuilt. It's, you know, like, we, but we didn't know. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and we, I mean, we went to outdoor retailer show. I think it was in that summer of 13, uh, which is mm-hmm. a, it's a big outdoor kind of REI stuff, but there's also a huge section of that that's fabric and materials. Uh, we went there and we met with every single place that made fabric and every single one just said 500 D quarter, 500. Like we told them what we wanted, what our perfect fabric would be. And they all just pointed us at 500 D and we kind of laughed. Like, well, I guess there's a reason why a lot of companies use 500 D because it's as an all around fabric, it's a pretty great choice. Um, yeah. Was, yeah uh, I mean, we're meeting yeah, with the highest fun. end. Yeah. yeah. We're meeting with yeah. Scholar and saying, Hey, price is not an object. You know, what's the best this application and they just said well it's 500d so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah it's one of those decisions like going into it like ah, oh, we're not going to do this and then definitely just got steered in that direction and it's uh, obviously it's a great fabric we've been using it and you have very very few issues it's uh, lightweight it's tougher and i'll get out and uh, very water repellent all those great things yeah yeah one of the memories i have from this time is from the beginning, I guess, Steve, you'd always valued transparency, like in the process too. So not just like, Hey, randomly one day, here's this product, but like, let's show the story. Let's show the prototyping. Let's discuss. I remember, um, cause I'd essentially built like the first website and I guess the first mm-hmm. website before there was a website, like kind of the blog type thing. And, um, doing at that point things like having people vote on color options and all that. That's and right. so, I mean, it's still kind of funny because now I'm thinking about like we're here doing the same thing in terms of trying to be very transparent as a company um, with who we are and what we make and why. And so I guess wh- where did that come from? What was, why? Like, why did you do that? Why did you guys want that to be part of the process and really in, almost like involve the customer in a way that's a relationship that's much beyond them just being a customer and things just being a transaction. Because I think to this day, it's still something we strive for, but it's always been that way since day one yeah. or before day one. Um, I think Lenny and I both like, um, 
both wanted to create something that was different and above and beyond what we had been used to. Um, Lenny, with his experience, um, talking about that, the, the company he used to use, just kind of brushing them off. And um, I think, you know, like we just wanted to provide a, a service and, and, um, and just, yeah, I don't know. I'm struggling with words here, but um, just be different than anything that anyone had ever seen at the time. Um, uh, just be very behind the scenes. This is what's going on. This is what we're doing. Uh, the, you know, the social media and websites and selling direct, it just gave us a platform that really, you know, you couldn't have built EXO in 1995. I don't think that it's, it would have been a completely different, um, you just wouldn't have been able to do it the way we did it because we did it with basically no budget. Um, you know, I, I had you doing, you know, building a website and I probably gave you a black gold site or something to do it. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but, <laughs> but I was I'm sure I didn't pay you much. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know, Lenny, can you elaborate? I'm struggling to find words, but I know that we, we wanted to be beyond what was people were used to, um, you know, provide a service yeah. that didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, um, from the very start, um, like, yeah, historically companies have been started with probably people who had big egos, big, you know, ideas, and then they just kind of pushed down the line, right? And at the time, people don't have a lot of options, like, okay, well, that's what I can buy. But I mean, on with e-commerce and you know, direct sales, that that's just been turned on its head. And, you know, Steve and I, you know, I don't think giant ego guys to begin with. And we've always, I guess, somewhat struggled with that because some people that's appealing because they, they think they feel like it tells them what they want, um, you know, versus Steve and I, I think have always wanted to be that company that listens and is a part of it. And maybe that's because that's where we started, right? I mean, we're using other people's stuff and um, we're frustrated by some of those experiences. And so we didn't want to be that kind of company. Yeah, I'd definitely say that was I mean, we, part, part of the conversation early on was, we were like sick of we're we're out there we're using this stuff. There's clearly things that be need to be fixed with this company's product, yet they refuse to do it. They they run the same model for ten years, um, and and Lenny and I did not want to be that. I knew I know that definitely have that distinct memory of having those conversations of we're going to constantly always adapt and adjust and fix and listen to our customers and just be different, not be kind of stuck. Like, all right, here's, you know, our pack has flaws. You're stuck with it for 10 years until we decide to come out with something new. Like we, we wanted to be aggressive about that and, and really listen that. And that began from the very beginning of surveying about colors and bag sizes and uh, what people want in their stuff. Cause we, we didn't like, let me just hit, we don't have that ego to say like, well, we know what it is and you don't, and you just need to listen to us. It's like everyone has different uses and different experiences. Um, and we want to, you know, bring as many people into our community as we can and listen to them and take their feedback and apply it to our products. It's cool. What are, what are, I don't know if this is skipping ahead too much, but like there, you launch in 2014 and we can talk about that, but then there's changes going into 2015. It's like, what's an example of even early on, like some of the things that you guys found. And I think this is just going to be the nature of a brand new product, no matter what, but as you talk about including feedback and like identifying areas of improvement what are some of those early changes that stick out in your mind one random it's not so much a it, kind of along the same lines as lenny and i um 
on our first year in 14, uh, had a couple of people like almost immediately sending in pictures of where the, the frame was rubbing through the fabric behind the neck. Um, and we're like, we were so perplexed by it. Like, how in the world is this happening? Because um, Lydia and I basically, well, yeah, long story short, it was people strapping the pack to a four-wheeler and like bahaing out through the desert. And, you know, the pack was just riding on a four-wheeler while they were hunting. Um, or maybe they rode it for 10 miles and got off and grabbed the pack. But basically people were strapping it to a, a you know, the four-wheeler rack uh, and was rubbing back and forth. And basically the fabric was caught in between the metal. Um, but it, it was such a funny thing because like Lynn and I never owned a four-wheeler, you know, and I had no, like, it was not something that was on our radar at all to, to overbuild in that area. Um, so something we had to fix right away, uh, start to, to reinforce that spot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Any other, any other examples you can think of? Um, <clears throat> no, it's funny. It's just all so incremental. It's hard to think of, you know, mm-hmm. one specific thing. I mean, there was definitely some learning things of, um, you know, some things you just can't do at, at scale, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a manufacturing point of view, some real tricky manufacturing things that just honestly it isn't feasible once you get to a certain level um you know so you you get that you still have got a good product but is actually scalable i think that was um some lessons along the way as well yeah Yeah. one that i guess the from 14 to 15 we had the the 3500 and 14 had the sewn in lid that was something that uh i loved but uh we got a lot of feedback and guys didn't didn't like that lid so we immediately swapped that out to a a floating lid on the 35 as well. Um, we responded to that one pretty quick. What was it like combining business and pleasure in the sense that you are both hunting partners, love hunting, and over a very short period of time, you've then turned that into a business with a product um, and all the problems that come with having a business and a product. <laughs> Um, and still trying to like go, we're friends and hunting partners, but now we're business partners. Now we have these problems and like, that's just, I mean, I I don't know. It's one of those things that, you know, it's, you hear about the proverbial, oh, it must be nice to hunt for a living or whatever, because you own a pack company. Um, what was it like in those early days to kind of make that transition of taking a hobby and turn it into a business? It, for us, it was easy. We were so excited and so passionate about it that we just talked about it nonstop. I mean, that's all we freaking did uh, for the, I'd say that first three years. Um, we were so dedicated to just improving the pack that, I don't know, Lenny, I, I don't remember anything but just passion about it. Of we, Neither one of us had egos. Like um, It was just like, let's make this thing better and whatever that means, however much work we got to put into it. Um you know, we're going to do it for, for it's a random thing, but for the first four years of the company, we, we'd never even really paid ourselves. We just took every dime and put it right back into the company because we were both still running. I was running SNS when he was doing his real estate, uh, commercial real estate stuff. Um, so we were living off those incomes and every dime XO made just went right back into the company um, to continue to innovate and improve and make the company better. But I don't remember anything early on. Um, so it was just pure, like it was growing so fast. Everything that was happening so suddenly. Um, at the same time, we're sitting there trying to adjust on the fly and improve. And, um, I think for me having young kids now, I don't realize how hard it was for Lenny back then. Cause I, I can't even imagine 
doing that all over again with with having two little kids at home that was probably pretty stinking tough um yeah i don't know anyway what, what do you got to add to that yeah i mean i'd say from the um from the hunting point of view you know i um even even still now like mixing the two has been good for the most part i i'm still so excited about the different opportunities now that i've got to have over the last five years um because of exo you know going to hunt in alaska and colorado and you know different things that we've done it's been i'm I'm still truly grateful for that and and uh and i'm still excited about it uh but i mean there was definitely i mean yeah don't get me wrong there was a lot of hard times there i mean my wife and I sitting at home building packs that first year, you know, cause we get the parts in and we had to build them and shit. My wife and I were up at midnight, many, 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 many nights, you know, building those. And I'm sure Steve is doing the same thing. And, um, there was, you know, there was definitely some time like, Oh my God, man, what are we doing? And, you know, it's funny when you're in the middle of it, you kind of can't see out of it, which is probably a good thing. Um, because if you realize how much work was still in front of you, you'd probably just quit. Um, but, uh, when you're just in the middle of it, you're just going and are excited about it. And, um, it's, it's, it's been good. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, uh, my son Kai, um, at the time he was probably what three, Steve. Remember when we got a big shipment in and, and he's pushing the boxes. I don't oh, know if you remember, yeah. I got a video of him. I mean, he's three years old and he's taking these boxes and he's, he's shoving them in one pile, you know, with the UPS guy and pick them up. And I mean, that's what it was like. I mean, we'd have uh pack building parties where a bunch of our buddies would come over and, uh, yeah, pizza and, we and, would, beer and you know, we yeah. need the help. To, yeah. We'd, cause there's just no way we could keep up with orders. So we'd get some people together and we'd build a bunch of packs and ship them. And, um, you know, it was, it was truly bootstrapped. I mean, we didn't have anybody investing in the company. I mean, Steve and I, I mean, I had a family and a full-time job and we bootstrapped the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something I'm extremely proud of is to date. There's no, there's nobody behind EXO, just Lenny and I making the decisions. Um, there's no investors. There's no anybody pushing for this. It's just us. Um, uh, I think it's fairly unique. Uh, probably a lot of people don't realize how many companies have investors behind them that need to see profits. And for us, it's always it's always been take care of the product, take care of the customer, and then everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, I mean, we've been probably somewhat stubborn sometimes, I'd say, and like, um, like we don't, and, and I, I think that's been one good thing is, is ExoPray hasn't changed a lot since we started, which I think is a good thing. Um, but, you know, say introducing a new product, like we could add a lot of products to the product line just because we're, you know, Exo's been out there a long time. There's some name recognition. And, you know, people kind of see what kind of we, we do. But, you know, our goal is and still has been, you know, if it's not better, don't just copy it and make something something just to add a product line <laughs> so which is asked, a detriment yeah someone yeah. asked me the other day to make a duffel bag and i was just like because I, I, they're like super handy you know like we were up in alaska and i bought a cabela's one and it's, it's awesome but we're not a company who's just gonna throw our logo on a duffel bag and like throw it out there just because it's just not it's not who we are it's got to be it's got to be new and innovative and a product that truly like adds value to somebody's hunt uh, not just our logo slapped on somebody else's design. How is that? As you said, like today there's, there's brand recognition, there's opportunities. There's ways that I think if, you know, I guess if you're just in it for the money, there's plenty of other things that could be sold. Um, 
how how is that managing what you say yes to what you say no to how do you as you as you said Lenny like you think things haven't changed a lot in in a good way um which I think is very unique because many companies especially as you mentioned Steve like when there's investors and there's this and there's that and you're answering to people like it's just grow 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 but you you can lose a lot in that process so I guess I maybe just want to hear more have you know for the listener's sake because these are conversations that that we've had plenty internally but Mm -hmm. like how do you how do you look at that how do you manage that how do you say yes to certain things and no to other things and remain the type of company that you wanted to be when you started does that make sense you say no a lot uh, we've got a, a lot of opportunities. I mean, just at Salt Lake, I've had a couple uh, larger companies come approach me with different things and, and just got to say no. Um, it's it's hard to do. Uh, there's plenty of decisions. Lenny and I can specifically remember that we really debated because it's like, man, this would increase profits or say, you know, this would increase sales and increase profits. But yeah, it's just not who we are. It's not what we want to be. Um, I think it's... Uh, for me, I'm probably always trying to like take Lane and I's original idea and then look 15, 20 years into the future and like that's where we want to be. And so I, when we get to decisions that are tough, because um, there's plenty of them, um, we just look, kind of go back to that reference and and we always just want to be that small niche company that's that's making you know basically the best mountain hunting backpacks you can slap on your back. Um, and then once you kind of boil it down to that, it, it helps those tough decisions become a little bit easier. Um, so take, again, we take care of the customer and take care of the product and, and the product truly has to add value to, to the, to the customer. Um, those are kind of guiding, guiding principles. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that, um, when Steve and I, I think, you know, come to hard decisions, it's definitely, and, and Mark, I mean, you're part of this too. Um, you know, how does this, you know, uh, reflect on the company, or how does it, it, it kind of doesn't matter what happens this year, or next year. It's really like, I mean, we want to build a company that's 15, 20, 30 years. You know, we're not building it for next year's sales sales goals, next year profit goals. We definitely want to build a company that's going to be around a very, very long time. And I think that makes your decision criteria very different. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's we're very not, much the long run. Yeah, we're not there. There aren't investors. We're not looking to build this up as fast as we can and sell it in five years. And th- and that that's like Lenny's hinting at that right there is that um, we're going to be owners of this well, well, well into the future. Um, and so those those decisions become a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I guess you know it's timely, right? But it ties into like the frame replacement stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. how you approach. <laughs> Like it, we said on the podcast before, Steve, like we lost sleep of it. And that's like no exaggeration. But how we approach that is different because of the long term vision, even if that comes at like a short term cost to us or right. to the company in terms of numbers. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Numbers and 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 cost. Some of the other things, I guess, that, you know, I'm just thinking through, what are the questions that we get? Like, what are the topics that come up? That type of thing. And I'm curious for listeners to hear how it ties back to these origins, to these beginnings. But, like, take, there's this big combination between 
price and production. So it was always from the beginning being made in the U.S. And obviously that's going to come at a cost. But then maybe talk about why, number one, why we do the discounts we do, which are for military law enforcement, that type of thing. But then why why isn't general sales part of the equation? Why is there not a Labor Day sale, Memorial Day sale, a President's Day sale, a... Uh, you know, once a year sale that happens eight times a year, <laughs> uh, which seems like a lot of companies do that. But like, w- in terms of that pricing discounts, etc., w- where's that philosophy come from, and was it always the same from the beginning? Yeah, um, a we didn't. The packs were very expensive to make. Um, I, without question, I think we're probably the most expensive pack uh, on the market right now, as far as our cost to manufacture. Um, there's things we do that are just different than everybody else. Um, and so we've operated, we've built the business, um, very, very efficiently runs ran very lean. Um, Mark, you can attest to this. You, you hold many, many different hats and, and work a lot of hours and, and everybody that works for us works hard. Um, we're getting them kind of getting the most out of everybody that we can and, and being as efficient as possible. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, and so we, we really put a lot of emphasis on, the production of the pack and then you know we've got our our good good margins in there that keeps the company profitable and keeps us in business um and then we didn't want to run sales uh just because it you know basically kind of cheapens the product in the long run if if every three months it's 30 percent off or this or that um (laughs) and i guess a lot of it was driven from for the first uh it's not really changed much today but it's it's we've always been growing so fast that uh, we couldn't keep up anyway. So there's no incentive to, to run a sale when we, it's not like we're just sitting on tons and tons of inventory on the shelf. Right. Um, the only times you'll see sales is like, like around black Friday when we had some, we had a, you know, a handful of, uh, K2 stuff left over that. Okay. All right. We've had that for a year. Let's, let's sell it. But that's pretty rare, rare instance. Um, and the, one of the huge benefits to the customer is, you'll see XO packs on the used market go for like $500, uh, you know, 450 to 550 depending on the pack. And it could be one or two years old. So they do not uh, depreciate much in value, which is something that we are always proud to have, uh, to kind of have that be a part of us. Um, it's like a Toyota, right? Like you, you buy that sucker, you know, you could sell it quite a few years down the road for not much less than you paid for it. Um, we kind of liked that, that model. I mean, and I think it goes to just what we're talking about our end goal is not to sell the most packs out of anybody. That's, that's the furthest thing from our goal. Um, you know, our our goal is to sell the best pack in, in, you know, kind of what we believe in and how we think it should be, um, in that market. And it's definitely not to sell the most packs. And I think that's probably, you know, a big difference. I mean, it's just like, I think how we market too, right? I mean, every day I know we have people uh, who reach out to us and say, well, you know, if you pay us X amount and we'll wear your pack and, you know, our philosophies are like, you know, you need to believe in the brand first, you know, and then, you know, let's see if there's a way that we can support you. Um, it's not, you know, we're not there just to drive the sales. Yeah. And that's another area where we, um, I can almost guarantee no other company spends less on marketing than us. Uh, cause we, we really, uh, again, focus on the product and the customer. Um, and we don't pay a lot of, uh, people to wear our stuff we you're not going to see us run magazine ads and spam you with the ads on instagram and and facebook um we really just rely on taking care of the customers and then 
to, to date and uh, something I'm extremely proud of is uh, when you go to check out on the EXO page, uh, you're buying a pack. It asks, how do you hear about us? And a friend is, uh, Mark, I can't remember, you'd know the percentage, but I think it's over 50% of our sales um, are uh, referrals, which I think speaks speaks uh, very, very loudly in a positive way. Yeah, it's fun even thinking of, you know, not too long ago, too long ago coming up on or coming off of show season. And uh, dude, I can't tell you how many times I'd walk up and there'd be a couple guys or a group of guys I'm like, hey, you guys got any questions? And one guy would speak up and go, no, my buddy's just over here selling me on your pack. You know, like he ha- he got one last year and he's over here showing it to me and, and telling me why I need it. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll be over there if you need anything. <laughs> like, go keep, <laughs> keep, keep on keeping on. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's awesome. I loved. I always love to hear that story. Well, uh, yeah, man, that's that's fun to hear part of the backstory and kind of relive those early days. And on one hand, it's wild. It's only been that handful of years, six, seven years, and then the other hand, it feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, it does not. I mean, we're talking. We're saying like way back in the day in 2010, and it's literally <laughs> 10 years ago. But yeah. it feels it's gone by extremely fast, but it also feels like a lifetime ago because so many things have have been changing, and it's just moving so fast since then. So it's been a a, a fun, wild ride, and and man, I'm sure looking forward to the next 15, 20 years. Well, hope you enjoyed that one, guys. Don't forget if you have any questions you want to hear about, or topics, or guest suggestions. Just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We truly do appreciate your interaction and feedback, and we'll talk to you soon.